everyone. This is Sina and welcome back to Investing Mastermind podcast. Today's episode is a bit bittersweet. Michelle and I recorded a wonderful conversation on Sunday discussing a recent Wall Street Journal interview with the legendary investor Charlie Munger. As many of you might know, Charlie Munger was not only a super investor, but also a profound thinker and mentor from afar for many of us in the investing community. Since our recording, we received the sad news that Charles Thomas Munger has passed away. While we mourn the loss of such an influenced figure, we also want to celebrate his incredible life and the wisdom he shared with the world. So in this episode, we'll be diving into some of the key insights from that Wall Street Journal interview and discuss the impact Munger had on our own investment philosophies and strategies. We hope this episode serves as a fitting tribute to a man who has inspired countless investors around the globe. Let's dive in and remember the incredible legacy of Charlie Munger. Recently, I came across this Wall Street Journal article that interviewed Charlie Munger, and there were some worthwhile insights that I think are worth sharing. So with that, Sina and I are going to talk about some of our reactions to this article today. Yeah, because, you know, finding an article like this, uh, the journalist spent two hours with Charlie Munger. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a dream come true for, for someone like me to spend two hours with someone like Charlie Munger. So, of course, when something like this is coming out, I read with high interest. So thank you so much, Michelle, for also sharing this article, because we want to know what is going on in the mind of an investor like Charlie Munger. So I think, you know, we should dive right into the article. And the first question that the journalists have curated for us in, in this article here is, do you think Berkshire Hathaway will make another big acquisition under you and Warren Buffett? What do you think about that, Michelle? Do you think he would do that? Well, I mean, I think they're always looking to to have that happen, but they seem to be a little bit competing with what Charlie calls venture capitalists who bid up the prices so high, and then it makes it harder to acquire a company because then uh, it, you're just paying ridiculous multiples. And what that means is, like, let's say a private business could be available for eight times it's earning. So the price you're paying is eventually you get back your what you invested in eight years time. But let's say it's being bid up to like 15 or 20 times earnings, then you're getting a really paltry sum, perhaps compared to what you should be paying. So and, and I'm talking about a private business. So who knows, you know, what other kinds of businesses that may be publicly traded, all of them are trading at way higher multiples, too. So like between both the private and public markets, it makes it difficult for everybody, it seems. Talking about, you know, venture capitalists, and it definitely makes it more difficult in the United States. But there are, I'm sure, and Buffett has has mentioned this, there are opportunities still, you know, with within the United States, but where you can't really look at the large cap companies with you know that means large capitalization and that those are the biggest companies so you need to look at smaller 
companies, maybe small cap companies and, and find some gems there. You could also look abroad. But what I always encourage is to look into cultures that are like your own culture. So if your own culture is American, you would want to look towards, you know, some of the Western European countries where the culture aligns very much with the American corporate culture and not, you know, go way east, for example, unless you have insights from those parts of the world. It's just that their general accounting principles are different. So, you know, there's something there where you might not be able to trust the annual reports as much as you might in the in the West. But I do think that he has an important point here. And from, from where I come from and, and the VPs, there's business angels, there are many types of investors now out there, private investors that are in either investment clubs or under a business angel or something like that. And what they do is they buy the startup companies, they buy into the entrepreneurs, and that makes it difficult for someone like Charlie and Buffett to buy extraordinary businesses because other investors have already been there or they're bidding the price up. So it's a really yeah. interesting point. Right. But in the meantime, they are sitting on $150 billion of cash that are largely invested in treasuries, which are paying a decent yield. So even though they might not be able to yeah. get you know, a more competitive 7 to 10% return in the stock market, let's say, they are getting at least a nice five to six percent in treasury bonds for the kind of short term. Like there's a possibility that let's say someday the stock market decides to correct itself back to levels that seem more normal and that, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes of how the stock market may still be considered overvalued and it's sort of plateaued. It hasn't really gone very much up or down. So it's kind of just in this purgatory area that I like to think of it as. So while they are, and maybe some of us are waiting in some cash, we might as well be taking advantage of some of the higher yields that are available to us. So I think that's exactly kind of what they're doing for now is they're just letting their war chest accumulate more assets as the journal article put it. Yeah. And I totally agree. And you mentioned they have all these money invested in treasury bonds and that actually, you know, they, I think Buffett mentioned five billion per year that that's accumulating and and it's just for a normal person like me just it's so difficult to imagine that an investment like that can give a return of five billion per year there's just a magnitude that we're talking here so charlie munger and warren buffett definitely worth modeling and if they buy into american treasury bonds it's worth us, you know, individual investors looking into investing in something like this and following that market as well, and not only looking into the stock market, but it's the first time in many, many years that we can even talk about bonds because it's just not been worth talking about earlier because of the low interest rate. And now all of a sudden bonds are back. So moving on to the another question that he got and the journalist asked if you were starting today as an investor, were there things that you would have been doing differently than you did back in the 1960s? And he talks about how the conditions back then were quite different than they are today and that they're not the same low-hanging fruit as after the 1930s crash. 
where Benjamin Graham, he, he mentions Graham in the article as well, how they scooped up some really, really great quality companies at amazing prices and stocks. And what he says is that there's not the same opportunities anymore. And he mentioned some of the th same things at the Berkshire annual meeting this year, but Warren Buffett was quick to jump in and say, I really do believe that this investment method and strategy is still valuable today. So Buffett immediately came in and he said, he, he's definitely, you know, that's where they don't necessarily agree on, on the future outlook where Munger say, I don't see opportunities and Buffett say, oh, I definitely see opportunities. And what's especially interesting to me is that Charlie remarked on how Ben Graham taught them to buy stuff that was underpriced and hold it as long as it was underpriced, then sell it when the price got back to normal and buy another undervalued asset. And he was saying you could basically do that for four decades. So up until the 70s, let's say, and he's now thinking that there's not really that much available, like you said, no more opportunities as much to do that. So it's sort of interesting how we also learn from someone like Phil Town, who was that kind of investor of buying undervalued assets and then selling it, say, when it got back to what he perceived to be normal price. Like he bought Chipotle at 275 and then sold it at 550 a share. And that's what he thought was normal price. But then he could not have predicted that it would go to quadruple or like more than quadruple of what his original investment was. So the interesting thing is like a lot of the stock market is not behaving the way that Charlie and Phil Town experienced before. So that makes it so much harder. So Charlie's advice to most people is unless you think you have a special advantage, just be in index funds and have some of the big tech. That's his general advice. If you're not sure if you can be a better investor than anybody else, then you don't have to try so hard, I guess, is what he's saying. Yeah. And it's funny because, again, Buffett, you know, he he's of a different opinion. What he said during the, the Berkshire meeting was what gives you opportunities is other people doing dumb things. And he says since 1958, you know, what I've seen over the years is just an increase in people doing stupid things or dumb things. Uh, so Buffett really believes that there's still opportunity to be had. Yeah, people are increasingly doing dumb things in the stock market. And uh, and that's where we have some opportunities because when, when that happens, let's say a great quality company goes on sale, because people out of fear is leaving the stock. It could be the you know, CEO that's saying something controversial. We've seen that many times before. And then people leave in droves. And that's a time where we as you know, Buffett-style investors actually can, can get that opportunity. And that's just where he says, I see an opportunity. I see that the world is becoming more and more short-term focused and that we have a unique advantage as being long-term, you know, having that long-term view. And it's something that I, you know, it's one of the things that he said at that meeting that I actually oftentimes reflect on. Remember to have the long-term outlook instead of thinking short-term in the decisions I make. That definitely can add an advantage um, if you're not competing on a three months to a year time frame, like a lot of the Wall Street professionals are and a lot of people who trade do things on a very short-term basis. So if you just have a different investing mindset, like 
investing for the long term, like Cena and I try to do, you're more likely to have more success based on historical evidence of like the stock market generally rising over many years. So that's a good perspective to have. And another question they asked was, if you were starting a business today, what would it be? And what did you think about his answer here, Sina? I think it's an interesting answer, actually, because I can, to some extent, actually, uh, I do recognize what he's saying. What he's saying here is that for him, stock picking, you know, picking individual stocks is the same as hunting and fishing. And many people might think of hunting and, and fishing as something, you know, that gives them peace, that's something that they like to do. And it's definitely something that Charlie Munger likes to do. So that's how he perceives stock picking. The way it resonates with me is that, you know, since I was a kid, I always liked to play detective. <laughs> I really like reading detective books. I like watching things on TV about young people being detectives. And, you know, with this investing style, I do get to live out the dream of being a detective because what I need to do is I need to find the good guys, the great companies, the companies that's going to grow. And it does take some detective work to do. So when he said that, you know, I came to think about how that really resonates with me big time because it also definitely caters to something that I enjoy doing. How about you, Michelle? Did you have thoughts like that or, or any other reflections as, on his answer here? I think that seems to resonate with both us and also other investors like Monish Pabrai said that he enjoys investing because of the hunt. And I think that was also something he probably learned or talked about with Charlie Munger once upon a time. And it is something that you have to want to do because no one is just going to hand you an investment most of the time and be like, this is guaranteed to make you 15% returns. Like just put your money here. Like if anyone says that to you, that might be a scam. So, you know, you generally have to work for it. Just like if you were going hunting for a deer, you have to work at it. Like you have to lie low in the trenches, wait for the animal to appear and then, you know, pick your moment. So in a way, investing is kind of like that. You're kind of waiting for a while, learning quietly. And then when you recognize the opportunity, like the deer in sight, then you take your shot. So it's a little bit, you can see the analogy making sense, but I thought it was kind of funny how he said, mostly it's charlatanism in the investing stock picking business, where I think he's kind of poking fun at how there's a lot of wealth managers or professionals, so they claim, who want to charge you 2 to 3% for their services. And are you truly getting legitimate returns or are you just making these people rich by paying them these fees for the privilege of investing your money? So sometimes you can do a lot better by only paying a 0.015% fee in an S&P 500 index fund like Fidelity or Vanguard. They have really cheap, low-cost index funds. So those things like that, a lot of active money managers do not beat the indexes. So it's kind of like, why would you waste your money paying any significant percentage points to these wealth managers. So it's kind of, that's what he's saying is like, you don't need to do that. You can just either be your own stock picker, or if you don't want to, you know, design your own electric motors and your egg beater, like he says, you don't have to do that. You can just relax and invest in the index fund. So I think that, you know, he makes a point of how he would make money. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a condensed answer. I feel like 
a lot of us who are younger millennials, we think of starting a business as doing something like, say, a dog walking business or, you know, maybe a cleaning service. Like some people I know who are our age, they do businesses like that. So maybe, you know, you don't necessarily have to get involved in wealth management or picking stocks, but there are other many avenues for running a business if you feel like, you know, that's something that is calling to you. Yeah, and to some extent, this answer is also very disappointing in terms of, you know, catering a little bit to to what's going on of people, you know, taking that step back and don't want to take responsibility of their own finances and, you know, accumulating wealth for themselves. And it's also, of course, something I experience a lot when I talk to people, people who are thinking about, you know, taking a course or I get to talk to some of these people and oftentimes it is, you know, oh, can you help me, you know, just tell me what to buy. And it's just not being responsible for your own finances when you, you know, want to put it in the hands of of someone else. I mean, there are, of course, fund managers out there that I trust and admire and I really believe, you know, they're doing a good job. But then there's 99% that... I don't believe is doing a good job and, you know, charges 3%, which is kind of cheap, you know, funds usually do charge more, but yeah, it's, I I wish more people would be more accountable for their finances. It, It actually doesn't take that much to be accountable. And, you know, for you guys that are listening here on this podcast, that is so awesome. You know, you're taking that responsibility, you're interested And I think that's so awesome. And you're doing so much more than so many people out there. So congratulations. Awesome that you're here. So I also think, you know, of course, you can do better than the index as well. You can be a stock picker and you can choose stocks and, you know, get an amazing return that's better than the S&P 500. So, you know, his answer here, I really wish that instead of saying, oh, just buy an index, you know, you're tapping into that movement of just sitting back and oh, it's not something that I'm going to look into. And I really do think people should be more accountable. That was, yeah. you know, I said a lot of things here, Michelle, take good, it away now. <laughs> that's a good, uh, you know, good call out. You know, I think it depends on the kind of person that how much they want to be in control of their own financial destiny. Like it, it can be a very scary and overwhelming subject. And and if someone wants to take that next step forward, I think they should talk to you, Sina. So, you know, visit investionista.com. <laughs> not not trying to plug you, you know, too much, but, you know, you are the kind of person who can help coach people to reach their next level if they want to do more than just be a passive person in their own financial destiny. You know, part of what I think he's also reflecting on is that it is challenging. Like, there's no, there's no easy thing to do here. Like, and as we all know, starting a business is not a cakewalk. Like it is definitely filled with a lot of challenges and it takes a long time to figure a lot of things out um, mm-hmm. as, as you and I can both attest from having run some of our own businesses. So Absolutely. It's, it's very something that is not for the faint hearted or the, you know, for those who are faint of heart. So also I actually want to touch on when you said there are funds that charge even more than 3%. Like a lot of the mutual funds that Americans have access to, if it's a pricey one, it will be charging you, like say in your 401k, like pricier ones could be upwards of 
0.5% and up. So anything above that to me is pricey. So you have plenty of options that are way below 0.5% in terms of mutual fund fees. So what I'm just saying is, at least for Americans, you should shop wisely for mutual funds and compare the prospectus and see what have been the average performance rates over the last 10 years or since inception. That would be something I'd encourage people to look more into and get the best possible deal you can for comparable performance rates. And that's actually, you know, cheap here in in Denmark, which is, you know, it's not normal necessarily in Europe to have these mutual funds. But here in Denmark, we actually have something that's slightly similar. It's more like a co-op where, you know, you can pull together and there is, you know, investment managers that are just making the decisions. But that's quite expensive to actually pay for, for some of those funds to actively manage your portfolio. And I can just tell you that my experience hasn't been good. And if you pay, like let's say, 2% in fees for a mutual fund kind of active investment management firm, and let's say they have a gain of 6% 6 per year, that's 4% for you. That's one third that they take in fees. And then your snowball of money, it just won't be as big when they take that much in, in fees. So it's important to just look into those fees because you know there's 4% left for you. That's not a lot when you you want your hard-earned money to, to snowball. One interesting question that he's being asked is if he ever worries that the success that him and Warren Buffett have enjoyed has contributed to the rise of the stock picking profession. What Munger answers is that yes, he is, of course, worried about that. But you know, what he sees is the greed. That's not the word he's using. But basically, what he sees from from the stock picking profession is a lot of greed but that him and also Warren Buffett, they haven't been excessive spenders. And he says, who in the hell with my wealth lives in the same house he built 70 years ago? Mm -hmm. And that's just not what we see, right? With most of you know the money managing world out there, that's not what we see, right? At least on social media. Yeah, I mean, the way that people seem to make it seem like with the increasing trends of materialism in our society. It's as if, you know, it's not only keeping up with the Joneses, it's trying to keep up with the Kardashians these days and people going on social media and admiring how it seems like everybody's always on vacation and they're living a fabulous life. And if only you were working harder in the rat race, you could also live just as fabulous of a life. But a lot of that is delusional. Like what Charlie saying here is, to live within your own means. And, you know, if you can live in the same house that you bought like 70 years ago, that's pretty great. So like, I think, you know, there's some important lessons here that Charlie is saying that like, sure, you know, a lot of people want to copy the way that they've been successful and they think that becoming rich will make them happy, but really you derive happiness in ways that have a lot of ways, not nothing to do with having money or not having money. You can be just as happy being rich or poor in, in many ways. Like I'm not saying if you're in abject poverty, you can be just as happy, but if you're doing okay for yourself, you can find ways to be happy that you don't need to have the flashiest house or be able to go on jet planes or any of these super fancy things. 
you know, there are many ways to be happy. And that could be a subject for a whole other podcast of how we square, you know, money and happiness. But I think, you know, he's kind of saying, no matter how rich I am, I still live a humble life. You know, talking about that could be a whole nother episode. We're coming to an end of uh, of this episode, but we will pick up on this article and unfold some more answers from Charlie Munger next time. So we'll be back on Tuesday. Till next time. Bye. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday. The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice. And if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.